My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. If you think America is a country that engineers its own crises on guns, abortion, drugs, you're going to love the debt ceiling. It may not be an issue that stirs the hearts and minds of Americans at grassroots level, but has the potential to impact the world economically on a massive scale. So why do we have to do this dance, Marion, over <laughs> and over again? And how close are Kevin McCarthy and President Biden to striking a deal that makes everyone on both sides of the aisle unhappy enough to make the other feel like they didn't win? <laughs> you know, Is that what the aim here? Beautifully, you. I think you just nailed it there, Charles. And I'm telling you, if America is sick of this, I can only imagine how sick of it the gang out there is. But sometimes we, we do bang on about these stories. But it is the weird thing is this to me is like when you go to see a really crappy movie with a really predictable plot, and you know before you've gone to see it, it's going to be rubbish, and you know the ending two minutes in, but you're forced to endure two and a half hours of utter drivel just to get to mm. the end. Well, here we are. This is pretty well what's happened. It always seemed, and I think the prospect of the US going into default is so serious that you can't sort of discard it. And as well, America is so crazy at the moment that the very darn thing you discard is the thing that'll happen. So it's got to be taken seriously, you know, mm. and there are enough crazy people in Congress as well who, who would happily see the US go over a chiff if it meant Biden would be blamed for it and that he'd lose the 2024 election. Because a lot of this is about 2024 election politics. A lot of it was about making Biden look weak and impotent and making him look like he didn't have a handle on the whole thing and making him look like the Republicans could kick his ass. And, yeah. um, you know, and he's come out of it quite it, well. Like I feel like he hasn't really conceded too much. But yeah, am I wrong on that? I think that there are no real winners in this because if, and I think that's probably a good thing because if you remember back in March, Biden was saying, no way, no way that we're getting a clean debt ceiling bill. We're not going to be held hostage. We're not going to debate and discuss and have negotiations about reducing the deficit. This is a totally separate issue. Well, guess what? They did end up doing exactly that. The Republicans passed their bill and then Biden, that became the negotiating tool. So in a way... They were slightly wrong-footed where I think they made the big, big mistake. And this is something that poor old Janet Yellen, God love her, who's being attacked by all sides. And it really unfairly, last December, 
Janet Yellen told Biden and told the House Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, that, look, raise the debt ceiling before the end of this Congress. Raise the debt ceiling before you go home for Christmas, after they had passed the, the budget. And she said, because if you don't, there's going to be all hell to pay come May and June. Well, they didn't. And that was when they should have done it because they had, they still had a majority then. They still had the Democratic majority and they could have pushed it past. And none of this had to happen. And I don't know why. I mean, you know, it reminds me a bit of me. It's like, you know, doing your homework at the last minute and going, oh, geez, I'm never doing this again. Or doing, you know, whatever deadline yeah. you have to the last minute and then go, that's it. And then the, the Glenrow music comes on on Sunday and you're back in the same situation. I that's think the like, cinema analogy is, is really solid. That we've been through a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It comes out every couple of years. Yeah. And each time... It's a little more shit than the last one, but you kind of have to go to check it out. But the ultimate feeling when you go to a bad movie and when you watch this dead ceiling thing play out must be for Americans. I don't want to go to cinema anymore. I am so sick of politics that if this is what these people are wasting their time doing, what is the freaking point of electing them in the first place? Yeah, Am I, I right know, in saying it, that, that it really does alienate people from the political system? Well, about 10% of Americans in any given year or day or moment approve of Congress and think they're doing a good job. I'd say now it's probably gone down even below that. Congress is the least well-regarded of all of the institutions of government in America, below the courts, below the, the White House, below even below the media. And God knows at the moment, the media is taking a you know, real hammering here. It's just regarded as the most partisan. And, you know, the thing is, and I think this really does bear saying one of the big things. Now, Republicans are supposed to be the party of fiscal conservatism. And the whole thing that you don't spend more than you have, et cetera, et cetera. They, one of their biggest beefs was that they wanted to block the IRS, the Inland Revenue Service, from being sort of beefed up sufficiently to go after billionaires who were evading taxes, billionaires and corporations. And this was their big line in the sand, we're going to defund the IRS. Now, in the name of God, you defund the IRS, that means that People are not paying taxes. That means you don't have the money then to fund the programs. I guess that there's an ideological difference between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, Republicans want to cut public spending and cut programs that really are geared towards poorer people, whereas Democrats want to raise taxes targeting richer people. That is a, an absolute ideological difference, and it's never going to be changed. But what the Republicans are saying here, it's going beyond that. It's going that not only are we not going to raise taxes, we're going to hobble the collection of taxes that are already owed by defunding the IRS. And this was never a Republican principle ever. And Biden had this big thing that he was going to employ another 60 or 80,000 IRS people and that their job would be to target the multi-billion dollar tax evaders. And that makes sense. Instead of at the moment, they can only afford to go after the little guys. Because taking on the big companies with their big lawyers takes a lot of resources. So anyway, the Republicans wanted to make sure that their big donors didn't get touched. And this is why they decided, no way, no way, we're not having any more people hired by the IRS. And, and it just made no sense on any level. 
So now Biden's going to do a partial upgrade of the IRS. He gave a bit of grand on that. And the final deal, which isn't that much. So US spending is going to be reduced by about $138 billion over the next two years. Given what is spent every year, the budgets are $6.8 trillion or whatever, usually around. It's not that much. We're talking about relatively little money. So you could say in that level that Biden actually kind of got a half-decent deal. He did concede on food stamps in America. The, the Republicans want people who get food stamps. And again, this is something that doesn't make sense. People who are on food stamps who are already working need food stamps because their jobs pay so badly and they can't mm. afford child care and they can't afford various other things. They're on minimum wages. So what the Republicans are saying is, no, no, no. What you do is you get another crappy paying job and then you won't need food stamps. But in the meantime, who's going to take care of their children while they're working 18 hours a day? You know, they have to pay for that. So it doesn't make sense and it's strangling the economy. And then people, you may as well then just go on welfare. Because if you can't, you know, you're working your fingers to the bone already, you're not making ends meet. And those people should be given a bit of a break. Whereas instead, instead they're saying, no, 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 just, just get another job. And you don't need to sleep. Get another job for $10 an hour. And that really, so Biden gave in a little bit on that, in that he raised the age for work requirements. But apart from that, as you say, it was sound and fury and the worst plot in the world, the most predictable plot in the world. And at the end of the day, they kind of fought themselves to a standstill. But now it's not over. Like, it it will pass. It's I not think done, is it? But, they, they, but it's, it's like it isn't done. over the line as we record right now. No. We're, I need to stress this, that things may change. We're recording this at midnight on Thursday. People are really confident this thing's going to go through, which further yeah. pisses people off because, again, it just becomes this kind of puppetry that it's you know it's really finger puppets arguing over stuff that is a it's playing house isn't it there's no tea yeah. in the cups uh, you know what what are we doing here the frustration that i'm getting from my american friends <laughs> in the emails and texts and whatsapp groups around this is it's very uh, i'd say the temperature is high and the only thing that annoys them further marion is that these and individuals that they have to choose from in the 2024 election. They can't believe that this is the best that America yeah. has to offer. And later in the show, we will look at some of these candidates that are that are cropping up, especially on the Republican well, side. I was going to say, when we start looking at the alternatives, you kind of go, oh, here, you know. <laughs> yeah, but how is that a campaign? That's the other thing I want to ask Marion later in the show. How is it a campaign to say, if you think I'm bad, Look at the other guy. How can that be well, the leading you know, line on your manifesto? The thing is, again, with Biden, everybody is fixated on Biden's age. And yeah. you know what? Yet he still keeps delivering. Like, he has delivered. He's pulled America back from the precipice and without handing over too much. Now, a lot of progressives are furious, including a few I spoke to, and they said, We've got to stand up to these guys. We're always in retreat. And why didn't we use the 14th Amendment? And I kind of understand that, that somebody needs, at some point needs to stand up to the bullies and go, you know what? I'd see you in court. But the problem being with the Supreme Court, the way it is at the moment, legal certainties and legal precedents are no longer a guarantee. They're no longer a sure thing. And in any case, 
there is no legal precedent for Biden being able to say, I'm the president, I'm going to invoke the 14th Amendment to say America has to pay its bills, so screw you, Kevin McCarthy. And, you know, a lot of Democrats really felt that that's what he should have done. But then McCarthy, I think on the other side, he could lose his job over this as speaker. And that all sounds like, well, boo-hoo, what do you think? Well, who in the name of God is going to be next? If McCarthy's too liberal, because the Freedom Caucus have all said 45, 50 of them that they're not going to vote for this under any circumstances. Now, if he manages to get, you know, we we spoke about this before, how the Republican Party is divided into the five families, the five families. And you've got the, and it was McCarthy who called him that because you've got five different factions, starting with the the, um, Freedom Caucus on the far right, and you go across quite a small rainbow to get to the Problem Solvers Caucus in the centre, which is kind of partisan. The Freedom Caucus has about 60 members of the 223. And then the rest are, you know, the next one has also got a few. There's quite a bit of crossover from the Freedom Caucus. He should be able to get about 100 at least. And then if the Democrats throw... Between them, if they, if they just come up with a 225 between them, it'll pass. So not everyone has to like it. About mm. half of one's parties, a little more than half of both parties, just has to hold their nose and vote for it. I think the Democrats will. And I saw Pramil Jaipir, who's one of the progressives earlier, being interviewed. And even that is a bit of a charade. So she was saying, OK, we'll vote for it if Biden needs the votes, because we don't want it to go over a cliff. But we're not going to vote for it if he doesn't need the votes because we want to make a stand. But you're not making a stand. You're actually not making a stand. It's performative politics. Like on both sides, while on the left as well as the right. You know, so it's it's all just a bit ridiculous. And of course, people are appealing to their constituencies. And one of the big problems with this is that Congress is up for re-election every two years. If they just have to stick it out for six years like the Senate or even four years, you wouldn't have this nonsense where from the moment they're going in, they have their eye on the next election and the need to fundraise and the need to keep everyone happy, to keep all the crazies who voted for them in the primary the last time happy. And it's a dysfunctional political system here. And it really is just grinding to a halt. And mm. I think that the more America becomes polarized, the more we're seeing this. And there's the depressing thing. I mean, I actually think Joe Biden, look, if you, let's just say you took 80 and you put in 50. Okay, people would say, Jesus, he's done a great job in the last couple of years. Look at the way he got him break out of COVID. Look at the way he handled Ukraine. Look at the way he put that coalition together. Look at the way he got the first infrastructure bill bipartisan through. Look at the way he got, you know, so many other things through in the last couple of years. And look what he's done on climate change. But the fact that the people see this then through the prison, through the wrinkly glasses of seeing an 80-year-old man and they go, ah, Jesus, we have to get rid of him. Whereas, in Mm. fact, even with this, he has handled it very well. He has handled a really difficult situation. Now, his mistake, as I said, was not to sort this whole thing out and nail it down last December. And I don't know why that didn't happen. That's the big one. I mean, it is. That's quite elderly, that behavior. But that's kind of, I got to say, that's kind of down to Pelosi because she was the House Speaker at the time, Nancy Pelosi. Right. Yeah. It's really up to her to pass that. Now, she may have just been going out the door. She may have been exhausted. Who knows? But it was bad politics. It was bad mm. politics to ignore this and to kick it down the road to the next person. 
you, I, you know I'm a betting man. You know I come from a gambling background yes. with uh, <laughs> horse, horse racing. Joe Biden, 13 to 8 at the moment. Donald Trump, 5 to 2. Ron DeSantis, 9 to 2. And like I always immediately then scroll right down and see who's 500 and 750 to 1. Chelsea Clinton, 1,000 to 1. Chelsea, Andrew Cuomo, 750. Bill Gates, 750 to 1. The Rock is in there. Who else? Larry Hogan. (laughs) Who the hell is Larry Hogan? Larry Hogan is the Republican or was governor of Maryland. He'd be a great president. If you're going to have a Republican, he's your guy. He's decent. He's smart. He's not a lunatic which is precisely why he's probably at a million to one. Well, he's 750 and Joe Rogan is doing better at 500 to one. We do need to talk about Ron DeSantis. Like we are going to talk later in the show. And if you're a member of Irishman Abroad over on Patreon, you can get access to the full conversation each week where Marion and I get to dig a little bit deeper in some of the stories that you might not get that much coverage of on this side of the Atlantic. We're going to talk about a landmark settlement victory for the Sackler family. Mike Pence wants to be your president and his running mate, the fly on his head, is going to get him there. Danny Masterson from the 70s show is going to jail. And surely the biggest criminal is the Church of Scientology that prevented those he raped from coming forward for 10 years. But last week, Marion, we focused our episode on this dumpster fire launch of Ron DeSantis. What's been the fallout since that, before we talk about his speech in Iowa? Has there been much hand-wringing? Has he acknowledged it and said that was a mistake? Because everybody across the world agrees that this was a rocket that exploded on takeoff. You know, I was laughing because earlier this week, Kim Jong-un um, decided he was going to launch his military satellite into space. And it, it worked about as well as DeSantis' launch. <laughs> the two of them need to get together and exchange notes. But it's kind of astonishing because, you know, of course, unfortunately, I get the three million emails a day from him now. And how they're selling this and literally selling it because it's on a T-shirt is, we broke the internet. We broke the internet. We, our launch was so brilliant and so many people were trying to get into the room that we broke the internet. And then it says, now let's break Washington. Well, I don't think Washington needs to be any more broken than it already is. And to me, a president who's running on the slogan, I broke the internet, now let's break Washington. I broke the internet, I beat up Mickey Mouse. Yeah. I mean, he It's not exactly really constructive stuff, is it? No, and as well, and then you throw in that surly personality or lack of therein, and and then you see just the, the you know the nonsense that he's talking about pushing America and pushing America further to the right and turning America into Florida or Florida into America, whichever way it is. And yet he beats up on trans people, he beats up on gay people, he beats up on black people. I mean, Amanda Gorman, that poet that we spoke about last week, like having like beating up on her, but he won't touch Trump. He's scared of his shadow of Trump. So won't instead, his name. Yeah, he picks all these soft targets and then he talks about, we must have the courage to lead and the strength to win and all the cliches, tick the bingo campaign boxes. And, you know, and then the photoshops, the photo opportunities, I mean, they probably will be photoshops, they'll have to be, 
where he's sitting with his wife on the hydraulic lifts and the big welding tables and he's being a big macho man looking at engine parts and <laughs> to look like he's interested. And it's just, I find him so odd and phony. And I just thought that his campaign launch in Iowa, which is still, you know, it's going on and he's going got to New Hampshire and all the rest. But there's just no, there, I don't get why anyone would pick him over Trump, but it does seem that he went to the super church in Des Moines and he's, I think he may get even more, he, he's running to the right of Trump, thinking he can then run to the center once he gets the nomination. He can't because there's so much, like, it's not just that he's been talking a tough game. The legislation is there that he signed, like legislation that is positively Orwellian. And that is going to come back to haunt him as it should if he wins the nomination, which I doubt very much he will. Well, CNN described him as having a lovability problem. I think that's Wait, one way of putting it. But what I couldn't understand, and I really did trawl over the ashes of last week's launch, I urge people to go back and have a listen to last week's episode just to see how badly this went. Like, when you think about reverting to voice only launching of your campaign, like literally going back a hundred years, and that's proper, you know, good old times, the good old days in America before TV, <laughs> it really defied logic. One that a campaign manager could say, this is a good idea. And yeah. two, when you think about how annoying his voice is, yeah. Exactly. That you would make the that the centerpiece. The yeah. last thing you want to really listen to is this squeaky, Robotic. annoying voice. Yeah. But then, you know, I watched the couple of speeches that he's made, and he definitely has uh, personal skills of, you know, a, a dishcloth. He comes to the podium, doesn't look up. And says, yeah. thank you. Thank you for coming. I mean, have you ever seen anything as bad as that in terms of a public speaker? One, and but maybe more importantly, have you ever seen anybody as poor at connecting with a crowd, yeah. yet the second favorite to take the nomination? It is both of those questions, I remembered the first campaign I ever covered in the States was Al Gore and George W. Bush. And Al Gore, God love him, was a terrible candidate. He just was wooden <laughs> and awkward and he didn't want to be there. And he had one of those voices that also sounded like a robocall, albeit not as bad as DeSantis. But Al Gore wasn't a mean guy. Mm. And he was coming off the most prosperous era in American, and, and the more we look at it now, the more prosperous it seems, you know, where America was booming, but he still couldn't seal the deal because he was a really boring guy. And I think that DeSantis has that problem and he has the dislikability problem because he is a very hard man to like. Apparently his wife, Casey, is pretty well running this campaign and is running it, I think, into the ground. And as you said, I mean, the fact they have these new robot machines and they crack me up in, in New York and in Los Angeles where you get your pizzas and food deliveries delivered by a robot, but the robots go, hello, you're a pizza. <laughs> and people have started calling them Ron. So Ron's here. <laughs> because they look and sound and they have these kind of awkward maneuvers, the way they move, it's really awkward and, and jerky. And it's just, 
the guy shouldn't be let near a campaign trail, but he is. And, you know, the thing is, the other one that was awful was John Kerry. But John Kerry's awfulness was that he was he was the Democratic candidate in 2004. He was wooden and dull, but he was also arrogant and entitled. So, like, you put all those together and he's not good, not good. But DeSantis is mean and he's belligerent and he's really autocratic. And I think, as I said, we have the record, we have the receipts for what he's done as governor. And it's just not a good look. Yeah, it is hard to see how this plays out, because as we said last week, his plan is clearly to just stay hold second place <laughs> in the hope that a legal golf ball takes this guy out in the or middle of the fairway or, or an actual or one. I mean, stranger things or can have happened. Yeah. There, there is, of course, a queue of other dudes who think that yeah. they can be number two as well. As I mentioned, Mike Pence is one of them. When you said it to me, I really didn't think it was going to be a possibility that someone would put their hand on his shoulder and go, you know, this guy may, (laughs) this guy DeSantis may have a personality problem, but you've got your own disability. Uh, It's the first posthumous presidential campaign because he is. I mean, so far as we know he's breathing, so far as we can tell, but there's not much, there's not much other evidence that he's actually even animated in any way. And yeah. um, I think, you know, we spoke about this a couple of months back, and I still think that Trump is not a sure thing. I mean, it's likely, but I think that we've got every day more stuff comes out about the classified documents and just the awful behavior behind it and the deliberate calculation obstruction of justice etc etc and that's all on the way and i think that there may be a point at which there will be enough republicans because i do remember even being at trump rallies and being at a couple of things where he people would say they were trump fanatics but they'd go oh no we need to get somebody else because they're you know the second term is going to be even worse than the first in terms of the way that he would be, as they saw, persecuted. I'm not sure that everyone, as many, like he he has people who worship him, he has the cult, but there are also people who are thinking, yeah, you know, he's my guy, but seriously, can't win this. And so we need mm-hmm. to vote for somebody who will. And I think that we're it's going to be a dark horse. I think that somebody's going to come in and it won't be Larry Hogan. It sure as hell won't be Mike Pence. But there could be another couple of people. I mean, people are talking about Chris Sununu. To me, he's just a bit too manic <laughs> to be mm. present. But he's, a, he's not a centrist. All these guys are to the right. But compared to DeSantis, they look like centrists. And then there's the guy up in Iowa, the governor, I beg your pardon, the governor of, of South Dakota, a guy called Doug Bugram. And he's a Doug Bugram, I beg your pardon. And he is... He was a very successful businessman and Republicans love that. And he seems he's not an unpleasant guy and he's sufficiently to the right, but he's not crazy. And so I, I think somebody like that or Glenn Youngkin, who to me is just a tall glass of milk, but a lot of Republicans like him. And again, he was a successful businessman and he took, he, he won Virginia as governor, which is a pretty much a blue state against Terry McAuliffe, who was a popular previous Democratic governor. So the guy can win, you know, and I, so I'm not sure that it's absolutely Trump's. And I think this is why all these guys are coming into the race now. And Chris Christie, who is just going to be the attack dog, I mean, his job, as he sees it, is to just 
stick his choppers into Trump's hind leg and just hold on to him the whole way, gnashing his teeth and taking lumps out of him to just slow him down. But I, th- I think that there is a sense amongst these sort of second tier candidates that nobody'd heard of a couple of, a week ago, even that because DeSantis is so awful, it's They're not going to and yeah. big chance it's not going to be him. Well, then it's got to be someone else almost. And wow. and they do see, as I said, you, I don't know what motivates somebody like Mike Pence. I mean, for God's sake, you know, he's been trailing at 2% in every poll since they took the first poll. On a good week, he's 4%. And, you know, what, you know, he Why thinks he can heal all the evangelicals, but me- maybe he just likes the attention. There you know, could, that like could be speech And the fact that he believes he can get out his message because God is speaking through Mike Pence all the time. So he can go on TV and deliver God's message to the masses and then it's mission accomplished. So because is, he, is he a wealthy man, Mike Pence? No, I wouldn't think he, he's particularly, you know, it's a good question. He's been in politics a long time. He's from, he was governor of Indiana and he was the congressman for Indiana. Pretty crappy job he did at both of them, it has to be said. Mm. And then was vice president. I don't think, I mean, I would imagine he's comfortable. And like by that, I mean, he's probably got a couple of millions. Yeah, stashed. Mike Pence, now look at it here, net worth one million to four million dollars. You never know what to believe with these no. kind of things. Certainly yes. don't look up my net worth. But he was earning uh, $235,000 as vice president. Uh, not now, bad. He probably has a lot of friends like Clarence Thomas has, you know what I mean? I suspect like he's very popular with a certain evangelical wealthy sector of the Republican Party. So there may be a bit of of that, that he, even though he doesn't have a lot of money, he can get nice holidays or whatever. Mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think like he wouldn't be in the Yonkin field of wealth or the Bugram field of wealth or any of that. Like he's not in the hundreds of millions for sure. How does his brain work or what what exactly is happening in Mike Pence's head to make him think this is a good idea? I really find it fascinating just to see how this plays out, Marion, because clearly there's quite a few of them that believe yeah. Trump's not going to make it and yeah, it's going to come I, down to some curveball, as you say. Yeah, and I think Pence believes that the person who's his campaign manager is God and that God's going to, you know, take care of business for him. And I really think that he believes he is the chosen one in terms of like putting out his anti-abortion, evangelical, anti-gay, anti-everything message, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that he, I think he believes that he's at least getting that message out to the sinful, appalling Sodom and Gomorrah masses that are out there. Yeah, well, we've got an awful lot more to talk about, including, as I say, that conviction of Danny Masterson, the beloved cast member of the 70s show, found guilty of two of three rape allegations this week. Marion's going to explain it all and a little more about the Church of Scientology that kind of protected him during this whole thing. We'll also talk about the Sackler family and their landmark ruling. What does it really mean for them? Coming over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. And we'll also be answering questions from you, the listeners, that have been submitted to the Irishman Abroad live line. That's right. If you're a member, you can submit a question to Marion and she will answer it in the second half of the show. Just email Podcast at gmail.com. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged 
espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.